More than half of all companies globally are family-owned or operated. Family businesses contribute 70% of the world's GDP and account for 65% of jobs. Their voices are important. Their stories must be told. Brought to you by the award-winning publication, Tharavat Magazine. This is the Family Business Voice with your host, Ramya Elagami. On this episode of the Family Business Voice, we spoke to Marshall Rabel, third-generation family member and marketing director of Hubs Peanuts. Marshall discussed with us what his family's legacy that was started by his grandmother means to him, why peanuts are in fact a superfood, and why his vision for the future centers around community first. Enjoy this episode with Marshall. Do you remember like a very conscious moment in your in your childhood memory where you were like you realized that you know that business belongs to your family that like your family had built that business do you remember anything like that I literally remember riding on the conveyor belts in the kitchen at work and as a young child and I, and I would give my teachers in elementary school a can of hubs peanuts for christmas and so that's a really early memory. And so because we have a brand and a logo, like of a consumable, my daughter, as soon as she could talk, she would see our, our peanuts and our brand and say, and recognize it as peanuts, you know? And so I think it's just something that I've grown up with and have I've always, it's always been a part of me. Obviously being at my grandparents' house, it's, it's a, a, around the dinner table, we're discussing it. And when you're in a family business, it's something you eat, breathe, sleep, and dream 24 seven that might not be the best balance that we're looking for, but that's kind of kind of what it is, you know. It was your grandmother's recipe that first commercialized Hubs peanuts, and it's it's just such a great story. I mean, how a woman in the 1950s would have even started doing this, I I, I don't understand. Like, do you have any insight as to how she made that happen? Now that I'm a parent too, it's it's really mind blowing that she was a mother of four children. And, and was starting this business in the 50s. I mean, like you said, it, it's remarkable for a fe- to have a female founder in the 50s that she was very much a pioneer in those regards. And, and I don't I don't have really any idea how she was able to be a, a mom, a teacher, and then an entrepreneur. And, you know, and H.J., my grandfather worked, you know, basically two jobs as well. So how they were able to balance this is, is still something that I'm, I'm trying to figure out in my own mind. <laughs> Do you think, but you know, this is really interesting because you guys say it in the story, the way that you guys have written the story, you're really talking about this as a bounce back from the Great Depression for your grandparents, right? Like this feeling of we have to build something that we have like control over, that we have some sort of like, you know, idea that how it's going to go and sort of that. Do you think that there's a real difference in terms of entrepreneurial quality between like different generations because of that hardship? Like, what is your view on that? Oh, absolutely. I think that's why I think Tom Brokaw labels them the greatest generation is because they have gone through so many different challenges that my generation has not quite faced yet. But yeah, some of it is out of necessity. You look at a lot of businesses that started post-World War II, post-Depression, and I think that's kind of where our country in the, in the U.S. really developed and flourished through the innovation of that generation because it was they were coming at it from a totally different perspective. It was more of, of a need as, as opposed to a little side hustle, although that's kind of what it was for them. It really is, I, I think, that generation experienced uh, 
different hardships than, than we ever have since then. So I absolutely think that entrepreneurship was more of a, of a need than a, than a desire maybe. Mm, but do I, I was just thinking when I, when I read the story, I thought to myself, what your grandmother, what Dot could have done had she had social media? I don't even want to think about it. Like she would have probably like, <laughs> it would have blown up like, you know, overnight. It would have been really interesting to see what that generation would have made of those kinds of tools, right? Like with that level of drive and everything, it would have been super interesting to see what that would have been like, honestly. Oh, for sure. I mean, we we've never really spend a lot of time and energy on marketing and telling our story. I mean, that's something that I'm bring, trying to bring to the table to articulate this message a little differently, but it's all been word of mouth and it's just been, you know, people received a can of peanuts and then they liked them and they decided to buy them and give them away. So, I mean, it was a, you know, direct consumer business since our inception and it's really just kind of been slow growth for the last 65, 70 years. And so you're right. Would we have been with social media and the, and the power to, to tell stories differently? Uh, I, I don't know. Do you have that family business that happens as a coincidence, right? Like you have that typical husband and wife team that just, you know, pulls resources together to help each other out, et cetera. Your grandfather's role, beautiful, supportive, helping to scale, you know, technical. When did that ambition come in, do you think, to actually make it multi-generational? Do you know if there was an actual conversation that happened there? Well, I know my mother was also very interested in this business. So she came, she came back after a couple of years in education. So my grandmother was a teacher. My mother was a teacher. That was my first role was also in education. And so she expressed some interest in the 70s after, after her uh, stand at university. And so she was working at that point. My grandmother was taking more of a hands-off approach and my grandfather was more involved in the day-to-day. -day. So, so Lynn, my mother worked really closely with, with him. And I think she saw the opportunity and ability to grow this as well. And, and I think, it, and then, you know, throughout the eighties and nineties, there's a lot of technological advancements that change with packaging and, and how we could put just oxygen absorbers or so to, to keep things fresher. So we could, we could build and scale um, for the holiday season. So Lynn really recognized that and, and can be credited with all of the growth really from the, you know, mid eighties to the early two thousands. And then now we've been transitioning a little bit. And so that we have different kind of goals and, and, but, but similar strategies on where we think we can go. But I think, yeah, um, Lynn kind of came at it with, Hey, I think I can do this. And then I I think I had the same aspirations and goals, bringing some different components and elements to it. And so it's just kind of transitioned somewhat seamlessly, but, um, I don't even know if it's been intentional. It's, uh, it's kind of, let's just keep flowing. <laughs> Did you grow up dreaming of being in charge of peanuts or like, what was it like for you? Like, you know, I've always been interested in this business, but as my experiences evolved, you know, I realized that business could be a vehicle for many of my aspirations as either an entrepreneur, an educator, or really even a social worker. And so, you know, business has the ability to do many things for a community. And at first it was just, it was peanuts, right? And, and I think that I always thought that I was a part of me. Like you, you wonder why was I born here in Southampton County, Virginia, instead of in Sweden or in a village in Japan or Africa. And so when you have, when you're deeply rooted into a place, I think I felt a strong pull back here. I knew I needed to get out and, and wanted to go out and experience and do some things for myself that were not 
involved with the business, but I've always had it in my mind hundred percent. And so now I'm really excited to bring some of those past experiences and passions back into the business because it, I can relate it all to this and our community and the overall community development project that I think we're a part of. Were there ever times where you felt that there was also a certain amount of pressure where you felt the responsibility of continuing this because the business means so much to the community as well? Like, did you feel pressure sometimes? You know, I never felt pressure from my grandparents or, or my aunts, uncles, or my mother, really. I think it's pressure that I've kind of put on myself. And because I've always recognized that I am part of this brand and part of this business, it's almost felt like a responsibility that I just, I needed to, to take. Now, I'm whether I'm 100% qualified or, or, or going to succeed, I, you know, that's, that's left to be determined, but I've always felt the need to get involved. And, you know, it's, uh, it's an honor really that we, that I have this as an option and it's a privilege a hundred percent that this is something that I'm able to, to bring aspects of my life into this business because I do find some interest and passion about the product itself And, you know, I'd like to get more into the, to telling about peanuts and why I think peanuts are the world's most important superfood from an environmental standpoint, from a healthy for you, healthy for the planet, healthy for our community. There's just so many things and how we can market peanuts. You know, it, I can work with athletes. I can work with chefs. I can work with a number of different international organizations from a feeding programs, from local feeding, but there's just so many elements that if I can't find something that, that works with me, then, you know, it, it's going to be hard for me to find anything I'd like to do because it's just so diverse with what we can do. Well, I don't think any one of us will ever think or look at a peanut quite the same way again after what you just described. I've never looked at it that way, but actually you're right. It's such a versatile product. If you think about it, it's amazing. I've never thought about it before, but I'm just astounded. Yeah. And that's something I'm continuing to learn. You know, we, we work closely with the farmers here, but peanuts are great for crop rotations. They put nitrogen back into the soil, which means when you're planting cotton or other crops, you don't need to use the same amount of fertilizer. It requires a five gallons of water for an ounce of peanuts, 80 gallons of water for an ounce of almonds. Almonds are grown in, in California, which is a drought-stricken region. Peanuts are grown on six to seven continents. So they really, everybody has a domestic supply. So we don't even need to import them. Like in, in the U.S., we don't grow cashews. So that's a, that has a different carbon footprint than just growing peanuts. And we've got more protein than any other nut. So as a plant-based protein, it, it has a much lower environmental footprint. And then all the antioxidants, fiber, folate, niacin, that's good for your heart health, your brain health. I mean, it, we're all sorts of things that are coming out about why I argue peanuts are the world's most important superfood is, is part of why I'm here. And the fact that I think we are, we're a very small niche peanut brand. We're the specialty peanut. I think we make peanuts taste better than anybody else. We use a really high quality, super extra large Virginia type peanut. So we're like the premium of the peanuts, if there's such a thing. But, um, you know, that's what's so cool about the diversity of peanuts as well, is we can be a gift for, for companies to give to their clients or, or customers, but they're also used and ready to use therapeutic foods to bring children out of malnourishment in Malawi and Sierra Leone or the Philippines or wherever Project Peanut Butter has an impact. Talk to us a little bit more about like, you know, how you live culture, how you live your values, And how that benefits basically your stakeholders. 
Sure. Well, I think it's all rooted in Dot and HJ's values on how they lived in our community. Now, the business has grown, but I think we've tried to take some of their, their philanthropic values and, and how they partnered with different organizations in the community on a personal level. And then hey, we've tried to incorporate that more into the business side. And so that's part of what I've been challenged with over the last few years is trying to to bring some of their values and my, and my parents' values into the business. So we represent more than peanuts and we you see our brand and, and it represents more of like a lifestyle brand for our community or, or in some regards. So we, we created this program called Hubs Hearts because we felt that it was important to give our employees an opportunity to volunteer in the community on things that they enjoy doing. Now, I'm really working to expand upon this. One of the things that we're doing as a, as a company is a partnership with the Food Bank of Southeastern Virginia and the Eastern Shore. And we have given them um, some of our additional warehouse space where they're building backpack programs for the kids um, in the community. So different civic organizations are coming into our warehouse and building these packs. And, and so they're coming to our, our this place called the Hubs Vine. They're coming to the Vine, building these backpacks and getting them out to the community. Now, our team is going to do this and we're going to build the backpacks as well. This is a, a company initiative, but we're also get, we do give people the ability to go out and, and volunteer on their own if they have something in the community that they want to do. So it's we're really trying to develop something where I think the food bank is going to become a, a part of our organization, but then we still want people to have flexibility to work on things that they need as well. My grandmother would employ women from Sedley, this little village of, of a few hundred people to help her skin the peanuts. And so like it was a community effort to build this business. So it, it makes sense for our business to be involved in every aspect that we can in this community. How do you feel this behavior also benefiting your brand equity and sort of like, you know, your consumer perception? As we gain consciousness of how great business can be, it's important for the the people that we shop with, interact with, consume with, you have to relate to them. And I think the younger generation is, is starting to demand that, right, out of companies and, and, and to be transparent and, not, and to be real and to be authentic. I think there are a lot of, a lot of companies that have gotten on this social wave that might not necessarily be as authentic. And that's something I want to make sure that we are, are, are authentic in our goals and motives because I think once people relate well to you in those ways. Um, they're going to spend the extra money for our product compared to a competitive product. I think once you realize the authenticity of, of someone doing more. So you've had two female leaders basically in Gen 1 and Gen 2, very strong female leadership here that built this company as you know it. Now, now you're in the business as well. Um, I don't know how many other family members are, are currently involved. Is it your mother, yourself? Is there anyone else right now? Or That's that's it as far as the uh, day-to-day operations. But um, our second generation has, it's my mother. I have two aunts and an uncle. And then our third generation, I have my sister and, and a cousin. So there are actually, there are five female owners and two males. So we're very okay. much a, a, a women-owned, women-led business. Do you feel like you look at entrepreneurship and leadership differently because, you know, your role models were primarily female as well from the company's point of view? Or do you feel like good leadership is good leadership and it like, you know, you feel like the same if it had been your dad, basically. Do you feel like it made a difference for you? 
I've always seen women as very powerful figures and I, and it's not, I guess that's not new to me, right? Because my, my mother is a very strong leader in, in, in our community, in our business. And, and so is my grandmother. I, I continue to hear stories about her. And so, yeah, maybe I was, um, I was unaware of, of how impactful it was to me to have these strong women in my life. How, would it have been different with if, if it were my father and just my grandfather, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure, but it's, it, that's an interesting thing for me to kind of uh, dissect. It might be interesting to think about as you raise your daughter. I'm just, I'm just saying, you know, because there might be another generation coming in. And that also brings me to the next question of share a little bit, maybe more uh, Marshall about like how you feel about that family ownership aspect. Our fourth generation is actually a little bit larger than our third generation now because my, my cousin and I have, we have well, five children. And so it's really hard to know and to plan succession when they are all, you know, five year, five and young and under. You know? yeah, of course. <laughs> but it's, uh, I definitely want them to be empowered and know that they're part of this business and part of this brand. And this can be something that they want to continue. Now, things always are, are changing. And so I have to look at a variety of, of exit strategies, succession plans. And that's, that's a huge challenge. I think transitioning any business from a second to third generation, third to fourth, or, you know, at what point do you entertain the idea of, of someone else owning or operating, or do we, do you stay family owned? It's, those are, those are real discussions and decisions that we are, are, are thinking through right now. Obviously, I'm, I still feel like I have a lot of good years ahead of me, but you always have to think, you know, what's, gonna, what's this going to look like in 10, 15, 20 years? You're actually mentioning a very important point, which is that in a way, you yourself are still a next gen, aren't you? Because your mom is, of course, still very much active, very much the CEO of the company. Tell us a little bit about that, though, like what that was like for you. Did you feel like your relationship with her changed once you started working together? Was that like, did that show you sides of her that you didn't know before? Like, what was that like for you? Yeah, I mean, I continue to to see different sides of her. And, you know, I, I try to to have her as mom, but also boss. And that's a, obviously a tricky dynamic, right? Like I'm, I'm, you, you interact with people that you know and love the most differently than you would with someone else, right? And she, she treats me a little bit differently. I treat her a little bit differently than I probably would someone else. But I have, I have tremendous respect for what she's been able to do. And because it, it is challenging when you, you've got a mother and a, and a boss all in, as the same person. My, we share a wall and, you know, it's, it's, that was her childhood bedroom right over there. And it's, uh, it is a, a different balance of, of mother boss relationship, but it's, uh, I've learned a tremendous amount from it. So that, that whole advice about like, you know, you need to separate emotion from business and stuff like that, probably not entirely feasible or what do you think? <laughs> I, I don't understand. I don't know. All I know is our situation. I'm not sure how others are doing it. Maybe I need to, to continue to dive <laughs> deeper into some of your guests and how they've been able to manage those relationships <laughs> with their, with their fathers or mothers. But it's, uh, it's fun though, because we get to work on this together and kind of create and build these next steps. I am definitely next gen, you know, um, but it's, it's been fun. What are sort of like the big visions that you and your mom and your family are working on for, for hubs right now? Like, so what have you, what is your 
And how far do you even plan ahead? I don't know. Do you guys plan ahead really far? Or like, and what is your big wish for the company in the years to come? So the last couple of years have been really big. We needed to expand our business. We were at that point where, all right, do we do we sell or do we go? Do we, you know? And so we decided to um, that we were going to continue trying to work hard on this. And we and we purchased an old grocery store um, that we have been converting into new production warehousing as well as um, uh, a new retail front. And so it's called the Hubs Vine. I kind of mentioned it. It's where we've, we've given a home to the food bank. We also have a new production line that we put in. So we we are we started our, our chocolate and roving um, production line this past fall. And so that's it's that's in its infancy. But we really think that we'll be able to grow that as a uh, as a chocolate producer, as a co-manufacturer for some others, and using that venue, the Hubs Vine, as a as a community gathering place. And one of the fun projects that I've got going on is we're working with a farmer called, his name is Elisha Barnes, and he is still um, doing peanuts the old-fashioned way where he's stacking them or shocking them as opposed to putting them in trailers to dry. And so we, last year, we launched the first ever single-origin peanut. So I did a lot of international development work and, and was totally inspired by cacao farmers and coffee farmers and, and, and how important single-origin was. Well, we, I got connected with Elisha, and so we bought his entire crop of this unique way of, of harvesting peanuts, and it's called a, a single-origin peanut. And so one thing that I'm excited about with that is we get to tell his story, but also can take that and blend it with a single-origin chocolate, and then we can have a unique product where it's single-origin chocolate, single-origin peanut, tells the story of the chocolate farmer, tells the story of the peanut farmer, blend it all together into a nice consumable product that is great and delicious, and I think that it's exciting to be able to use uh, our business and the brand that we already have to just create new partnerships and products like that and continue to collaborate. But I do think that the chocolate will be a big piece for us moving forward and then some smaller batch product releases. Um, you know, so, and I think that the Hubs Vine, our new retail market space, I think that will give us this venue to be a community outlet for for artists, for, for concerts, and for chefs to come and do different things. So we've, we've, we've already begun working on a lot of this, but I, I see it as the literal hub for our community, and, and a lot can come out of that venue. We're so grateful that you came on the show today. Thank you so much, Marshall, for sharing your story. There's a lot of exciting things for us, and, and I'm just honored that you had us, and, and I appreciate the opportunity to speak to you and your guests. So really do appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Family Business Voice. Subscribe to our channels now on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, or Spotify to be notified of our weekly episodes.